Hi there, I'm Jason. And I'm Joseph. And this is the Infinity Cast, where we spill the tea on Marvel and pop culture. Joseph, what the hell did we just watch? We watched the most amazing half of the most amazing film ever made. We watched Dune. 2001. 2001. 2021. 2021. It's not the 2001 uh, Sci-Fi Channel miniseries, thankfully. They had a few extra dollars. (laughs) And not the knock sci-fi channels miniseries because for what it was worth they really tried you can tell like they tried they tried so hard but when you're only given 47 cents to 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 make a miniseries like you really don't have much to do whereas this film i think has like a 250 million dollar budget so yeah that's why this was able to look and seem so amazing and as perfect as it is and if all of you are like oh we're just gonna have a dune simp yeah yeah, you are. I have very little negative to say about it. I've got a few things. Well, I'm sure because see, you 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 come at it very differently. So let's 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 break it all down here. Um, I am someone who, from the age of like eight, um, was in love with Dune. My mother used to used to read some Dune, and so I read the books when I was young. Uh, I fell in love with David Lynch's film, even though it wasn't uh, a. a a proper adaptation of the film. I still enjoyed it for what it was. And the world building was amazing. It inspired so much of all the stories I would love to tell in my life. Um, and then even years later, I still a fan of the book. I, and still a fan of the films loved uh, the sci-fi channel miniseries of Dune and children of Dune. Um, I only read up to a uh, past children of Dune. So Dune Messiah, uh, children of Dune. I didn't read the other three, but I'm still well-versed in them. I, I love the lore. I love the universe. Big fan. Studied it for as long as I've been alive, essentially. Um, and Jason, from what I understand, your education on this uh, vastly insane subject is um, zero. Yeah, I went in completely blind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would like to ask you, as someone who has no idea, uh, as, as, as a member of the uncultured swine department, um, how do you feel? Tell me what you thought. I thought the movie was visually stunning and mildly confusing. There's just a lot. It's dense. There's a lot of things going on, and they aren't exactly explained. Understand also this is only a half of a film. Oh, I, I've got that part. But that's why you're confused, probably for a lot of the things that are are situated there. Is there's a lot more to be explained. Uh, there was a lot of... I had a friend of mine who also went in completely blind, who despite her uh, exuberant array of being educated in so much deep science fiction lore, she had never gotten around to Dune. And so she went in completely blind. She hadn't even seen a trailer. So when the movie was over, she loved it. She loved the film. And she just had a million questions. And she didn't want me to answer all the questions that were related to things that might be associated with the sequel. Um, so I was like, it's complicated because there's six books and this is only one half of one of those books. So <laughs> it's complicated to answer any of your questions, but I will try. I mean, that's okay. I, I, I actually kind of listened to a couple of like breakdowns about it afterwards. And some of them sort of went into spoiler territory for the sequel or for the rest of this book and the sequels. So you don't have to answer anything. Uh, but we could talk about what I liked about it. This well, I movie want to know is fucking more about what you like, lo- what you didn't like about it. I want to know, like, I mean, I know you were confused, but I want to know what confused you. I would say that just some of the concepts, there's a lot, you're thrown into this and there's a lot of concepts that you have to kind of quickly pick up. Like you have to be, you have to kind of be like, 
figure out who the Bene Gesserit are, and you have to figure out like what exactly is what's what is the structure like? Why why does he keep seeing these weird dreams? What is like the what's the deal with the Empire? Which, by the way, okay, I want I want to throw this out there. There's a chosen one from a desert planet. There's an evil emperor, and there's an order of space magicians. So, is it safe to say that George Lucas definitely read Dune? Yes, he read Dune. He stole a lot uh, from Dune. Okay. <laughs> he stole a lot from Dune. Because I'm well versed in Star Wars, and I definitely saw some things that looked familiar to me. No, he he stole a significant amount from Dune. It's 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 just that's just the way it is. Um, the author should have sued his ass. <laughs> Well, I mean, he framed it in a very different way, uh, and, and he just he took a lot of the, the plot points that are part of Joseph Campbell's, you know, Hero of a Thousand Faces kind of thing. So you you didn't have to like. I, I I think there's a lot of room to maneuver within that space, but he was very much heavily influenced by by Frank Herbert's universe. You, you can tell <laughs> there was someone I even was uh, listening to his rant. And he was like, "Oh, and then Anakin. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." Yeah, I know. I think I, I think I watched the same review because I, I, I someone did that in one of the ones I watched too. Yeah, so uh, it's like okay, we 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 get it. Yeah, George Lucas stole a lot from Doom. Yeah, no, he definitely did. But that's the thing, like, but the way Frank Herbert did it was so much more political and so much more like as an editorial on our existence here. So it's like there's so much to unpack in the in the Dune universe and why it is the way it is. Where Star Wars, it's 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 fantasy. There's not ed- editorial at all. You can't find editorial messages in Star Wars um, until you, ironically, until you get to the prequels and we get into that. The only line that I will ever like bow down for when it comes to the prequels, which is, and that's how democracy dies with thunderous applause. I'm like, all right, there's your metaphor. There's your editorial. That's the only editorial we're ever going to get from Star Wars. So enjoy it while you can. I think I think the other thing I really didn't care for was the fact that it does feel incomplete. It's beautiful and it's a part one and it's expansive, but like it does, it is only half the story. And I don't know, I might've cut it off in a different place. I, I, I wouldn't have. I, I mean, knowing what I know is to come, you couldn't have. There was a point where I was trying to figure out where the story was going to end. And I thought it was going to end after a, a, a battle, and it, it didn't. It, I'm glad it ended where it did because it, it gives us a pause, this moment of Salah and processing um, where Paul is now welcome into the tribes. And now when you see what happens next, and I'm trying, and I'm sure you've already been spoiled by a lot of things, but we can cut this book into two pieces, and the directors cut it into Paul Atreides and Muad'Dib. And so this is Paul. We This entire movie is about Paul. The next movie will be about Muad'Dib. And now I, that's the cutoff. That's where it matters. That's where the thing. So the next film will all be about Muad'Dib and not be about Paul. His identity is, is split. And I, it makes perfect sense, but you have to see it in the aftermath. I'm like, you you can't say like all right like uh, you can't make a single film about Dune and have it work. Yeah, I was gonna say it's been tried and it didn't exactly work. And even Sci-Fi Channel's miniseries of like three parts, each one being two hours long. Like, I love you, Sci-Fi Channel, for trying, and you know everybody there. You have my utmost respect for trying because you you did fucking try. 
but even still like the break points are just awkward and you don't know where things are and like it, you're still left out a lot of it but this is an artist high art representation of this book and half of this book so you you can't just like all right we're just gonna tell the whole thing so yes i get it it's incomplete but it's almost like an oxymoron in that sense like you, you can't blame it for that because it, it was inevitable and then when you see the whole film for what it is, and really you're still lacking because the, the whole story is six books long. When does he become the Quidditch Habersnatch? I hate you. <laughs> I'm sorry. The qu- the qu- Quisatch Hatterach? The Quisatch Hatterach. Quisatz? Quisatz. Quisatz Hatterach. Hatterach. He, I mean, he Quidditch. is the Quisatz Hatterach. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. You are You are insulting my religion, sir. So yeah, what is the deal with the Bene Gesserit? And why have they been doing a secret messiah eugenics project? Because they want to make the Kwisatz Haderach. And they want everyone to be prepared for them so they can have complete control of everything. So, okay, so you're you're you're, you're here, you're designed, you're, you're doing all this like eugenics in order to produce the supreme being, which is a, a being that is, lives outside of time and space. They have full prescience. Full prescience meaning they can, they can not only predict based on everything that's happening. And that's what his dream sequences were. His dream sequences were probable outcomes. They were multiverse. They, he was watching the multiverse before his eyes. He was he was pulling a Doctor Strange. He was looking at other timelines, possible timelines. Possible time. That's why it seemed like strange. Like the guy who was his friend, Jameis, like um, he, he, he eventually became the person who killed Paul, who, who Paul had to kill. But in another timeline, he would be the one to train Paul. So that's not the same. Another timeline, Chani was the one to kill Paul. So there's there was a lot of possibilities out there and a lot of strange variants. But he he saw them all. So that was the beginning of his awakening, the beginning of his prescience. Um, another aspect of prescience is that you're able to um, read and understand and become aware of all of your ancestors. So you get the memories of everyone who is related to you. Interesting. You know, it's like imagine imagine like having the memories of your father, all the experiences, all those memories and his father and, and your, and your mother and her father and her mother, we're talking like all the way back to the dawn of time. You have all their memories as, as accessible data. That's full on prescience. So that is the quiz out Tyler is you, ha- you can have access to everything and know everything. So it's a combination of genetic memory and being able to calculate probable futures. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the Benny Jesuit training and evolution of everything allows like for a full awareness and full tapping of your own body. But like with the Kwisatz Haderach, it's like that with all your genetic memory and all your ability to see all the outcomes as well. It's, it's, that's the Supreme being. And as a result, they've been seeding mythology on a thousand worlds to make sure everyone is for generations have been prepared for this. So that's the way the mythology that the Fremen have, and they're able to recognize Paul. But that's why the Bene Gesserit is like, what the fuck? You weren't supposed to do this yet. Like we were one generation away from this being what we wanted, but then you didn't produce Paul way too soon. You were supposed to make a daughter for us. Instead, you made a son and started it way too quick. We weren't ready and you fucked us all over. So that's what all that was about. It's like the Benny Jester are not happy with Jessica. They're not happy with Paul. I definitely got that. I got that sense. Yeah. So 
there's a lot going on with the Bene Gesserit. Which I'm, I'm sure that that gets fleshed out in the rest of the book and also the sequels. Oh, yeah. Oh, so much. So much. So the Bene Gesserit are still around in book six. So <laughs> there's a lot going on. Um, they tried to be the ones in power, and they're always going to have some power here and there. But there's, there's a lot of shit that they wanted to happen that obviously things get taken away from them. So Paul is one of those things. <laughs> Interesting. Something I... I really liked about this movie is it is so impeccably cast. Like I like everyone that's in this movie. I have, I have 99.9%. I am so in love with this cast. I, I will have no problem um, going down on anyone who's responsible for this. If they wish like for whatever long time that they need it, male, female. Uh, if there's, if there's a, anything at all I could do for you, service you in any way, shape or form. Thank you for all of that. Um, my note is only one actor who I feel like didn't get either the screen time or the talent or even my love for the David Lynch film kind of gets in the way. And that is Dr. Yui. I felt he was flat. I felt like I did not feel for him at all. In David Lynch's film, he was played by Dean Stockwell. I love Dean Stockwell. And so Dean, watching Dean Stockwell play Dr. Yui in the original Dune was such a powerful performance and he played it so like dramatically. And this Dr. Hugh was very, so quiet, so quiet, so quiet. He barely said a sound and I missed, I missed Dean's performance. That's it. And he's the only one who I had any notes for because everyone else just regardless of my love for David Lynch's film blew it out of the park. Oscar Isaacs is fucking Duke Leto and, and added so much more integrity and power and royalty and love to it like wow everyone blew me away jessica lady jessica who i thought was going to annoy me did not at all everyone blew me away oscar isaacs really sold the role i was just i was sad that he had to get ned starked he did it was it was it was always it was inevitable and this is the only movie in the world where jason momoa doesn't bother me like i actually liked him in fact loved him as duncan idaho I was so happy to see that like that character was not ruined for me because that was me going in. I was worried that I was going to be bothered and annoyed by, by mm. his performance as Duncan Idaho. Cause I'm not a really big fan of Momoa. Um, maybe it's just the characters he plays. I just don't like it too much. He's too jockey for me too. like, bro, come on, brother. Bro, bro, bro. But in this role, it works so well. He balanced it out so nice with, a, with honor and integrity and love. And I felt that the performance was there. Just his the way his death scene was handled with the with the salute he gave, which was which is interesting enough as a personal message to his son, and it was just like, wow! I loved every moment. The connection he had with Paul was sold. I got it. It was superior to any other adaptation. Thank you, Jason Momoa. I apologize for all the bad things I said about you, and there's a lot, so much. Yeah, I am also on the record as not really caring for Jason Momoa. Specifically in the DCEU, not a big fan of Aquaman, but yeah, he's great in this. And what a name, Just Duncan Idaho. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. Everyone's making fun of it. It's like, oh, it is the uh, ten thousand one ninety one, and our main characters are Paul and Duncan Idaho, <laughs> and we have a Jessica. And it's like, oh, pretty soon we're gonna meet Jessica's sister, Brittany. <laughs> I want to write some Duncan Idaho, Hannah Montana fan fiction. Uh, I mean, that's good, but, uh, 
<laughs> throwing uh throwing robert california too uh the lizard king uh no he was pretty good in it um also the actress that did uh kinds the character kinds i thought i i really liked her no she was fucking amazing and again another thing where i was going in i'm like all right what i know they're changing it i know they're changing the sex because dr kinds was a was a man who was played by um who was played originally in 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 David Lynch's Dune as um, Maximilian, uh, fuck, what's his name? From from The Exorcist, from uh, Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forget, I forget his name. It's going to drive me fucking crazy. But it was played by him. And so I had a love for him immediately. Like, that's, that's I love that, that man. And so, like, you can't replace him. You can't outdo that performance. It's him. But her performance and the way they did her death scene compared to the way they did his in the original film and just was so brilliant and so awesome and badass. Like, I loved every single moment she had on frame. I, I really became a fan of her. Yeah, I was bummed. I was bummed when she died, which for me, I didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew it was happening because I, again, knew the book and I know the story. But like, I knew how everyone, I was surprised actually that Duncan Idaho lived as long as he did because he was in the original film. He died in the in the battle like in the in the uh when everyone was raiding the the um was raiding the city and before paul even got put into the to the ornithopter so i was like oh why is he still alive but i'm like oh i see they gave him a little bit more of extension and it, it was it was well done so everyone got a little bit more of extended lives in this i couldn't get over actually seeing josh brolin because i haven't seen him in anything recently that wasn't thanos I mean, there was him playing Cable. Yeah, but I only saw Deadpool 2 once. It seems like a million years ago because of the pandemic. True. All right. Yeah, it was nice to see, like, full-on, like, Josh Brolin being Josh Brolin. And his role in the original movie is Patrick Stewart, right? Yes. He he played Gurney Halleck. So um, the David Lynch version was Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart being in it is the only reason I really want to watch Dune. Yeah, I kind of don't want you to. You have to wait two years to watch it now. Because I don't want you to watch it. Like if we we had this conversation. You had an opportunity. You had your opportunity. I would have had you watch it before you watched it, but instead you chose you chose this path. To be fair, it'll probably take me two years to get around to it anyway. Grumble, grumble. Also, Stellan Skarsgård really let himself go. <laughs> it was a fat suit. He'll remind everybody in every interview. <laughs> it's a fat suit. <laughs> He's so good, though. He's so good. Oh God, that Baron was so creepy. He is. He's better than he was in the Thor movies. Um, not hard. He kind of he kind of phoned the second one in. Um, what is the deal with the Baron, though? Why does he have? Why does he levitate? And like, what what's up with that? How much do you want to know? I mean, I can tell you why. I guess it's in the history, so they probably won't go into it. Um, so the Baron was actually born a very beautiful man. He looked more like Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, pretty much. But he pissed off the Bene Gesserit, and the Bene Gesserit then cursed him. And okay. so now that that his floating is because he cannot hold himself. He can't he, he can't survive under his own weight. So he needs fields in order to. He needs like a force field of levitation in order to be able to hold himself up. Huh. Interesting. That really came in handy when Oscar Isaac used foul breath on him. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. That 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 saved his ass. <laughs> In, in in that process but like he i actually was kind of disappointed that they I, I felt like they took 
a lot away from the Baron's like physical appearance. Like, yes, scars, they, they really made him look hideous, but in the original film, and I believe even in the book, he is way more disgusting looking too. He has boils and he's, his face is covered in warts and blisters. And in this one, we just got bigger scars guard. Yeah. We just got a, I mean, like he's big, he's huge. He's the, he's the fat Baron always in all the books and, and all the, in, in all the films, no matter what, he's that way. But, and I love the style, the clothing, the way like the the outfit just drapes and and from the ground, no matter how high he is, it's it's just so intimidating and present. It's so great. They took away the rape scene because what you might not know about the Baron is he is a rapist pedophile. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So just to make him more likable, um, there was definitely stuff where he was raping the poor boys who were taking care of the flowers and things like that in 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 his rooms. So that's fun. And they replace those with a scary spider. Yeah. Seems like, huh? Okay. I'll take that. Yeah. Another, another note I had, I wish we, there was more like, they didn't really go into what the Mentats were. So Thufur didn't really have a lot to do. And Pida de Vries didn't really have a lot to do. I don't think anyone really understood what they were. Those are the human computer people. Yes. Um, Thufur Hauer and, and, Pied of the Breeze were, were Mentats. So they didn't have anything with the with the juice of Safu. They didn't have anything with uh, explaining their, their study. But they're, they're Mentats. They're learned and educated to be these heavy processing humanoid computers. Is there a reason why they don't have normal computers? Oh, yeah. There's a lot. You ready for it? <clears throat> so... A, Many, many thousands of years ago, human beings created machines that they used to like live the best life. You know, like we, we, we used it to get around. We used it to think we used it. So all human beings were living in luxury because we could, because machines did all the work. So it was like this gilded age of humanity. But then conquerors came and with better machines, stronger machines, and used it to take over other, to enslave other parts of humanity. So machines were used by other men to subjugate other parts of humanity. And then people came up with bigger machines and did the same. Eventually, a huge war broke out of humans against the machines and the people who would use them to enslave other humanities. And it became illegal. Um, at this this whole war, it was called... Um, um, Fuck. It's the Butlerian Jihad. So the Butlerian Jihad was what they called the war between humans and machines. So by the end of that, machines were illegal. There was, you could not create artificial intelligence. So what ended up taking its place was this organic evolution of humanity. You know, what, what we're not replacing human beings with machines. We're not going to rely on machines to do what a man should do. A human being should be able to do it all. So we're going to find ways to evolve ourselves to do these things because machines have proven nothing except a problem for us. We become lazy. We become, you know, adrift and we do not have a purpose. We end up everything being service for us, stagnant. And that, that could not, that did not work. So as the generations progressed, Especially after we discovered spice, we were able to evolve ourselves to be stronger and better at all this without the use of machines. Interesting. And spice is a drug, obviously. It's important for interstellar travel because the navigators have to be super, super high to calculate 
flight speed jump thing? Something like that. Something like that. It's not light speed jumping. It's um, uh, think of it like fold. It's folding space. So the guild navigators who are evolved, they they need spice over generations upon generations to evolve, and then once they evolve to a certain point, with all the spice gases, they're able to um, fold space. So you're able to exist in almost two places at once. And that's how you trans, that's how you trans uh, for space. It was very subtle the way they did it. And like, I felt like if you didn't know what you were looking for, you wouldn't even notice it. But those, those, those funnel ships, if you look through the hole in the funnel, you could see another area of space behind it. So if you watch it again and they show you a shot of like through that funnel ship, you'll see that there's like another planet on the other side of that hole that's not in the space that's behind the ship. So it is in fact, almost like a Stargate that if you go through one side and end up in the other, you end up in another region of space. So that ship probably exists in two spaces at once at that moment because of the guild navigators takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, spice to do that. And Arrakis is the only place you can get spice. Yeah. Because of the worms. That's why um, Leto asked Doofer, like, how much money did it cost them to get here? And he's like, a lot, because it costs a lot of money to, to get the guild navigators, to get the spice, all that stuff in order to do a jump. Some of the technology in this universe I find really interesting. I really liked the ornithopters, because they're like, their wings are like fucking dragonfly wings. That's really fucking cool. Yeah, I, I've seen art on other ornithopters and this is definitely by far my favorite i was so happy with their design uh, the, the the mechanics that they use behind it uh so good so happy with the way they they did that the dragonfly design mm. how were they visualized in the 1984 movie it was they were like little boxes like um they almost you know what they reminded me of almost like the willy wonka elevator in the original one so it's like yeah not not nowhere near um what what this was this was way superior this is quite a bit better um also i thought the shielding technology was kind of cool but also maybe a little useless um i think if you look at it the problem with this is that they didn't really show it working you know it's kind of like ultron like you needed to have a, a scene where it actually functioned you didn't get to see atreides for the powerful uh house that it was you didn't get to see Atreides being like, there's a reason why they don't just come to our planet and try to kill us. You know, they are, they own the sky, they own water. They know how to use all this stuff. The, the specific atmosphere in Arrakis is what causes problems with the shieldings. And on top of that, there's lots of ways you can get around it with slow moving darts and things like that. But as you saw, Duncan Idaho was able to like, push some of these slow moving darts away. If you're trained enough, you can do that. Sadly, Duke Leto, it, it was Dr. Yui knew exactly where to get Leto. And so Leto couldn't get at the dart because it was directly in his back, but it has its, it has its usefulness, but it's also just like any other weapon. It's, if everyone else has it, it's just going to balance itself out. Mutually assured destruction or mutually assured defense. But the way they did this version of the shields is definitely my favorite. It's, it's, I love the visual effect on it. The original 1984 version of it was very boxy. It was like creating a, uh, just like 
a force field box around yourself. It was a little weird. <laughs> I, I would say the, the this is a step in the right direction. Oh, significantly. I love the sound effects. I mean, again, the sound design in this movie really made it. In fact, I like the sound design even better than the score. The score was good too, though. Score was good. Um, I am probably one of the few people to say, like, oh, I, I kind of wish it wasn't Hans Zimmer who did it. But I get why. And I know Hans, like, begged to be a part of this project. He wanted this role. It was, like, one of his, like, lifelong dreams to do a score to Dune. And he did it. And he did it well. And in the context of the film, it's beautiful. And, like, you're, you're listening to it as you're watching the scenes. And it fits so nicely. Uh, the, the Mongolian throat singing for the Sadakar was so gorgeous it's also well done but my note is and they did this with the sound design so i'm like all right at least i got it with the sound design i like especially when dune is a part of it motifs i like themes i like things associated because dune is so much about like thematics you have the you would have the atreides theme the, the paul theme the fremen theme the harkonnen theme there's so many things that you can make themes on and apply those themes into parts of the suites that you can make. But Hans Zimmer isn't a theme guy. He doesn't do themes. I think only in a handful of his films does he like does something that actually speaks theme or any kind of an anthem. So he doesn't do it. Okay, fine. So he didn't. And as a result, I never got like a really new Atreides theme. I just have suites that are called Atreides or Harkonnen, things like that. But it's all it all eventually becomes this not generic because Hans Zimmer doesn't do generic, but there's something lost in it. I feel to me personally, and I know a lot of people could be angry at me for saying that because it's Hans fucking Zimmer. But I, this film needed, in my opinion, a little bit more motif, just a little bit more, but he did a great job. Despite that, I'm still, I'm so think the score is amazing. Yeah, no, I, I really, I, I enjoyed it. I, I get what you mean about motifs though. You needed a Ray's theme from Star Wars. But that's the point. That's it. When we hear Yoda's theme in any scene, like Yoda's theme, we we, we return to Dagobah. We return like, uh, what was this stupid movie? Uh, Rise of Skywalker. That was a pretty stupid movie. It was a stupid movie. But in Rise of Skywalker, we hear a little bit of, of, of Yoda's theme and it immediately brings us back. And that's the power of a theme. Like you're able to like... A, it's, it's almost like we were talking about like generational memory because then we don't just remember it for this moment. We remember it for all the moments that came before. And that's the power of a theme. That's why to me, Dune, it was so important to have that because it really will connect with everything together if you do it right. Like the story will be told through the music. And there's, I mean, again, the music is amazing in Dune. Don't get me wrong but it could have been used in that kind of a way. Instead, we got amazing sound design and and I'm happy with that and I can take it. I just would have liked a little bit more motifs because I don't like the fact that Star Wars did anything better than do. Valid. I wish that they had filmed this in its sequel back to back. Yeah, me too. And in that regard, definitely me too. Um, they did not though. They decided to wait and see how this one did. So... I mean, it did well enough. We're getting a sequel, but I mean, two years from now. Yep, we are waiting. We are all waiting two fucking years for this. And to me, like, I want them to do more. I want them to do Dune Messiah, Children of Dune. Like, at the very least, those three books. At the very least. But there is there is so much to this year world. 
in order to tell the full story, which we may never get. We might never get. I mean, if is every book in the series as long as the first book? Oh, yeah. Or longer? Because it's a six book series. So are we talking like 12 movies if they adapt them all? Yeah, pretty much. I'd, I'd say so. I, I Sci-Fi Channel consolidated Children and Messiah into a single miniseries. So they told that story in six hours. But it was heavily consolidated. But they did a good job consolidating it. I'll be honest. Like uh, Children and Messiah can be consolidated a little bit better than, than, than Dune as a whole. Because Dune has a lot of setup you need. Whereas, like, you already know the universe and you know the world by Messiah and Dune standpoints, so it's you, it's not as intense of a of a shock to try to get yourself through the world. Like, you already know the world; you just got to go through it now. You can kind of shorthand it a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but you still, I still think after six hours, you're still like, all right, there's still stuff that you needed. So I would have say like, okay, you could you can consolidate to an eight hour story. Assuming that any of this, I mean, like if, the, if these movies continue to really do well, I mean, like really, I mean, considering we're living in a pandemic and a lot of people watched it on HBO Max, um, the two times I saw it in the theater, because I've watched it now eight times, two of them were in the theaters. First night was IMAX, um, the last time I went to the Alamo, and each of those nights were sold out showings. Um, and one was just yesterday, so it's already been out a week and I'm still it's still sold out showings. So that makes me happy. So this movie is making money in the theater. I just hope that Warner Brothers is like, all right, look, all the money is being made. Let's just green light all the books. All the books. All of them. All of them. Yeah, I don't think they're going that far, but at least we got confirmation of a second one. So I'm I'm glad that we can at least finish out this this first story. We didn't talk about him really, but like, how did you like Timothy Chalamet? He was someone who was an unknown to me. I didn't know him from a hole in the wall before this and you know it's my nostalgic like no one could be kyle mclaughlin you know kind of a thing but i mean obviously timothy held the age a little bit better and when i when i watched him perform as paul like it, he nailed it i loved it and in fact i'm now for the first time interested in this new willy wonka movie because of timothy chalamet <laughs> i was gonna say i'm i am now at least a little bit intrigued about wonka yeah, I, before I didn't give a shit at all. I would have skipped it because you know Tim Burton ruins everything. So well, he's I, Tim Burton's not involved with this. No, no, I know, but he ruined my any interest I ever had in any other Willy Wonka adaption. Like I don't want to see, and just like just like the assholes who are behind Game of Thrones are in Game of Thrones, and I have no interest in their prequel series. Like even though they're not associated with it, the idea of going back into the Game of Thrones universe is just like. Meh, I don't give a shit at all. You ruined it. You ruined the universe. I don't care about it. We're still going to do it. I'm going to do it for Matt Smith because he needs a win. Matt Smith is in the Game of Thrones prequel? Yeah, he's like the main character. (sighs) Fuck. I feel bad for that guy because he quit being the doctor to come do American movies and like everything he's been in has bombed. Yeah, it really has bombed. And I didn't know that until you just told me that he was going to be in it. And I really fucking hate you for telling me that. Think about it. He's the perfect actor to play a Targaryen because he's handsome, but he's handsome in a way that you might think that his parents are related. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Listen, I am a big fan of Matt Smith, and I've seen every movie he's been in, despite how horrible they end up being. Let's not even talk about Lost River. Um, But 
oh god i really just don't care about the game of thrones world at all anymore nor did i care about wonka until timothy chalamet was announced so now now that i've established a precedence where it's like oh an actor i care about is might be in this project that i didn't give a shit about before is okay so now i have to care fuck you jason fuck you so it's pretty safe to say that you like the movie yeah i mean to me this was this was a this was like a spiritual movie to me because again i've been a fan of this for so long so i know i got a little like <sighs> but this this film also the story inspired so much science fiction that we all love and take for granted so i think everybody i'm surprised that you and maxwell too maxwell's the friend who also like went in completely blind and this is a woman who yelled at me for not knowing like classical sci-fi literature and i'm just like seriously you of all people i have no idea about dune motherfucker all uncultured swine we are in fact uncultured swine but i did enjoy it i thought it was good i just i i would prefer i think to watch this and its sequel back to back yeah i get that and i i would have preferred them to be smart and pulled like a lord of the rings on this and had planned that from the get-go so they did film it back to back and we would just have to wait a year and we would be fine with that like, I'd be fine with that. Like, all right, same bad time, same bad channel. We pull, like, a Lord of the Rings thing out of our asses. Great. Let's keep going for as long as the series continues. But nope, now we have to start the production process all over again. And I know we're waiting for Timothy Chalamet to finish Wonka. So I'm sure that's to hold up all the other actors probably have other contracts. Specifically Zendaya. I feel like Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet are probably the two major ones that we have to sit and wait for. Because everyone else of importance is dead. I assume Zendaya is going to be in more of the next movie. Oh, she's the main character. Oh, thank she's God. She's the main character in that one. Yeah. It, it, it just, it, there was no point for her to be the main character in this one because she's not Maudid yet. So she becomes really important in the next book and the next part of the book. Do you have any final thoughts about Dune? Go see it. Go to the theater and watch it three times. I don't care if you have responsibilities, your wife, your mother, your father, your brother, they'll all live without you for three hours. They don't care. They will live on. And if they don't, they will die knowing that you lived your best life by watching Dune. Because that's all that matters right now. Fuck everything else. The spice must flow. For reference, I watched it on HBO Max. Fuck you, Jason! All right, so make sure to like, subscribe, and please, tell your friends. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at InfinityCast, spelled infinite a cast and you can email us at infinitycast at gmail.com until next time i'm jason and i'm joseph and we'll see you guys next week